Thank you, Taylor. Hey, good morning, everyone. And uh, I was thinking back, uh, some of you know that when I was 27, I fell off a 70-foot cliff while I was backpacking, and I spent three and a half months away from work and my apartment and all, a couple months, two and a half months in the hospital. And, um, you know, just imagine that it's a Thursday afternoon and you're going on a short weekend backpack trip and boom, you don't go back to your house or to work for three and a half months. And it was really a bizarre feeling coming back. Uh, This experience I had was First of all, I I remember going into my office. I was a youth pastor at at the time, and, you know, all the kids and all the camps and programs and planning and projects, and I was just this young guy who thought that every piece of paper was important, you know, that that every project was important, that I just had to say yes and manage everything. And I can remember walking into my office. It was just this storm of papers and piles, and I looked at the projects, and I had this realization, you know, most of these things don't really matter. I mean, I was gone. They came and went, and not much changed. And that's when I discovered that the trash can is, is a really good friend. I remember just taking all these magazines and all these projects and all these papers and just dumping them into the trash can. And it kind of had a, a profound impact on me in terms of my dealing with what comes at me, that I don't have to process and say yes to everything that comes my way. Now I had a second experience where um, I had to have some surgery post-accident, and one of those surgeries was on my face. So I'm just being really honest and transparent with you. I, I've had some work done. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you. I get it. Um, and... Uh, they, they had to fix some stuff in my face, and uh, it was at Stanford University Hospital, and I used to get on my bike and ride down there from Redwood City and just to, you know, keep working out to get my, my legs back from this time in the hospital, and I'd rush into the doctor's office, There's this really professionally dressed woman at the receptionist's desk, and I'd say, I am so sorry that I'm late, and after multiple times of rushing into her office that way, she latched her eyes on me. She looked me right in the eye, and she said, you're always late. In other words, why are you telling me you're sorry for being late? You're always late. And somehow, those words just penetrated my mind and heart because I realized I had an identity with her. I was that guy. She saw me and labeled me as the guy who was always late. And there was something inside of me that said, I I don't want to be that person. So it began a a change. I'm I'm still late, but but not like I was. And and I, I realized, I realized that the way we change in our lives is when we get a vision for who we want to be. And I didn't want to be that guy. It started me down a pathway of sort of thinking, what, what's really important? What, where do I want to give my time, my energy? And what kind of a person do I want to present myself to the world? And that's launched us into thinking about this idea of a series we're titling Simplicity. 
And um, we're going to take the month of August, and we're going to explore that and just uh, think about what it might look like. We're calling this simplicity, but it's really, it's a, it's a spiritual practice. And we have to be really careful with these practices. You know, we did, we did as Taylor said, we did um, prayer in June. And then we talked about the practice of scripture in July, and now we're going to talk about simplicity. And I, I really think the order is important. And these are not, they're not new laws. We're not, we're not proposing new laws, you know, that if you want to be a good Christian, this is what you have to do. No, they're, they're really, they're, they're practices that are not ends in and of themselves. They help shape us in a way that our lives can come into alignment with the way the world works best, the way it works best as we follow the words and ways of Jesus. And so if, if in the process of this month, especially this morning as I'm talking, if, if somehow you feel like there's, there's shame that creeps up inside of you or guilt, I, I think it probably will. It, it will. it will bubble up. You say no to that and push that away. Because underneath this is this beautiful translation that Eugene Peterson gave called the message in 11, uh, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. He said this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus said, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Jesus said, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So our desire is that there would be freedom in our conversation this month, and especially this morning. Because you and I, we, we, we live with a constant demand for our attention. It is a nonstop stream of things to do, energy to give. It's endless. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware that obviously school is um, around the corner. And it may have already started for your family. You know, it's like you feel the energy. You feel the anxiety. You feel the, the push to make it all happen. Uh, to end summer and to get into, even the babies are feeling the anxiety of school starting. I got a couple of years to go and I'm just feeling it. So that's a beautiful sound, Brooke. Um, so I, you know, I, I think this, this month, August, you know, um, to just insert this in, to get us thinking about uh, what it means to move into a, into a new school year. And I have a definition. I got this from Joshua Becker, and I found it in John Mark Comer's really beautiful book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And Josh Becker defines simplicity like this. It's the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. It's the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. 
Now, this is why the spiritual practice of simplicity is built on the two practices of prayer and scripture. Because by itself, this definition of simplicity could just lead us to be hedonists. I'm going I'm to do the thing that makes me feel the best, and I'll just get rid of everything else. No, as we follow the words and ways of Jesus, and in prayer and in Scripture, it's the place where the Holy Spirit can guide us to begin to understand what should we value the most. So um, a lot of you probably have heard of or seen an illustration of um, the, big, the Big Rocks illustration that Stephen Covey has made famous. The Big Rocks illustration. It, it, it goes something like this. You've got a bucket and you've got some big rocks and you've got some pebbles and you've got some sand and you're going to figure out how, how, do I, how do I get all this stuff in this bucket? And if you start with the sand and fill the bucket with sand, you don't have any room for the pebbles or the rocks, right? If you put the pebbles in first, we well, can fill the bucket with pebbles and maybe you can get some additional sand into the bucket but not the big rocks. And so here's the point of the illustration. The only way you can get the big rocks and the pebbles and the sand in the bucket and fill it up is you've got to start with the big rocks first. So the question is, what are your big rocks? It's a, it's a brilliant illustration, but I, I want to bring two critiques to it. And far be from me to want to critique Stephen Covey, but um, the big rocks illustration is really, really good because it, it calls upon us to try to figure out what are the big rocks in our lives. You've got to start with those. But uh, one of the problems I see with the way we live and that illustration of filling the bucket with the big rocks and then the pebbles and then the sand is that it assumes that the goal of our lives is to fill the bucket to the brim. That we're to fill our lives with as much stuff as possible. Get the big rocks in, and then you got room for the gravel, and then, of course, you can put the sand in as well. And the problem, too, is that we can begin to feel guilty if our, li- if our, if our life, if our bucket's not full. We-, we can begin, have you ever felt guilty when you look at your calendar and there's a, now you've never had this experience. There's a day on your calendar where there's nothing on it. Now, maybe you don't remember a day when that happens. But do you remember when there was? You didn't have your day full of appointments and projects. And there was a little twinge of guilt. Like, maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I'm not important enough. Maybe, maybe I need to put some more gravel in my life. And that's kind of the world that we live in where there's, there's this expectation and this press, pressure that we're going to fill the bucket to the brim. And, and we live in a high-capacity culture, high-capacity people, you know, who, who can accomplish a lot. And there's a lot of demands on us. So with this particular assumption, what we need to consider is that a life well-lived has space between the rocks. Rather than putting the big rocks in and then filling all the empty space with gravel and then sand, you know, we need to consider having space. It's what Dr. Richard Swenson calls 
margin. We need margin in our lives. He describes margin this way. He says, margin is the space between our load and our limits. Our load in life and our limits. And is related to our reserves and resilience. The space is a buffer, a leeway, a gap. The place we go to heal, to relate, to reflect, to recharge our batteries, to focus on the things that matter most. And we live in a culture that says, fill it full. And there's no space. There's no margin. The second problem I see with the illustration of filling it to the full is reality. And that is that we actually can't put all the big rocks in the bucket. There are too many big rocks. And this is devastating to us. But it's a reminder that we're humans. And we have limitations. Pete Scazzaro talks about, um, he, he uses the idea of accepting the gift of your limits. It's a really hard thing to do. And then what I do is I, I have a tendency to have too many big rocks, and I put them in the bucket. And I'm doing pretty good at getting rid of gravel and sand, but then I begin to feel guilty of the, about the big rocks that can't fit in the bucket, and so I, I, sometimes I rotate them, you know? Like my big rocks might be family and work, my friends, ministry through the church, you know, a hobby, sports that I love, travel, you know, whatever. But, but if, I, if I put a lot of time in a work and then I think about, oh, I'm neglecting my family, you know, so I, I kind of then shift the rock of work around and put the family back in and now I have a good season there. And then I, I realize I got these other projects. And so it's just super simple to shift the rocks around and to appease our guilt or the pressure of other people for us to kind of perform. So these are the words that go through our head. More, bigger, better, replace, hurry, speed, hustle, consume, drive. Just, I mean, we feel that in our, in our world, all of us. It's, just, it's, it's kind of the, the world in which we're confronted with. And so then what we do is we look at the bucket that's full of big rocks and gravel and sand, and we think, you know, I, I actually could get a little bit more in there. And we take a pitcher of water, and we pour water in the bucket till we fill it up with water, and now, now we're drowning. Now we're drowning, and sometimes we have that, that experience. So what do we do about that? We're stuffing the bucket Full, the things we buy, the things we own. Once we own something, we have to maintain it. All our stuff, our time, our calendars, our schedules are full. Are you beginning to feel anxiety? Jesus invites us to freedom, not anxiety. Our to-do lists, debts we have because of the stuff we buy, our commitments, technology, social media, news feeds. Then there's email. And then the lines, you know, like 
I'm, I'm that guy you see in the road where you come up to a red light and there's two cars in the left lane and one in the right lane and I get in the right, I change lanes to get in the right lane to get one car further up to a red light. It's like it's an automatic response inside of me. Maybe you do that at the grocery store, you know, it's like. So I want to invite you to learn from the words and ways of Jesus. If you have a Bible, let's go to Mark 1. He lived in a different century. He lived in a different world. Yet the scripture says that he experienced all the same temptations that we experience. And I want to give you an illustration of that in Mark chapter 1. And let's learn from him. The river is really committed to letting Jesus kind of inform us how we can order our lives today. So I want to share a little of the context before we get to our passage in verse 35. It's at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And in verse 9 of chapter 1, it says, Jesus submitted himself to baptism. And then he heard the voice of the Heavenly Father say, You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. That voice from his father was strategic for Jesus. He needed to hear it over and over again. This is who you are. You are my beloved son, my beloved daughter. And and friends, I'll tell you, we need friends around ourselves who will remind us on a regular basis, we are the beloved child of the Father. And then it says, immediately, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. The the wilderness is a place um, that's lonely. It's a place that's empty. It could be anywhere, but it sometimes is a desert. It's deserted. Here it's translated as wilderness. He went into a lonely place by himself. In verse 13, he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And I love this. He was with the wild animals. I would have just loved to know what that was like, you know? I mean, what, what kind of wild animals and what did he do with them? And the angels attended him 40 days out there in alone time. I think it's during that alone time, if you remember the temptations of Jesus and how Satan tried to get Jesus to take a different path, and there he was forging out his identity and his mission in the wilderness as the angels attended to him while he combated the temptations of the evil one. And that's why prayer and scripture are such foundational, fundamental spiritual practices for us because that's what Jesus did in that wilderness time. He talked with his father. He combated the evil one by quoting scripture back and he had time alone to pray. It's how he clarified his identity and his mission as the beloved. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, Jesus began his ministry. He began the mission. He says, he went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, repent, believe the good news, and he called a few of his first disciples to follow him, who would eventually grow into the 12. And in verse 21, he went into the synagogue in Capernaum. And he was teaching there. And then he had a confrontation with an evil spirit. And he he kicked the evil spirit out 
and he amazed all the people. They were in awe by him. And in verse 28, it says, the news about Jesus spread everywhere. It's the beautiful thing about the gospel of Mark is that it just moves. It moves really quick. And Jesus' popularity is growing by leaps and bounds. And then it says later that day, uh, he went to the home of Peter and Andrew. I think a little R&R time, they're going to have some food, but they discover that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. So, so Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and then she begins to make dinner for them, to wait on them. And it's finally evening to rest. And then Mark says that after sunset, verse 32, the village brought all the sick, and not only all the sick, all the demon-possessed. You know what that's like when they come to your dinner party. And it says that Jesus healed and drove out demons late into the night. So Jesus knows what it's like to be crushed by obligations and things and opportunities, teaching, speaking, presenting, managing, calling people to follow him, and then the confrontation with the darkest part of the evil world. He, he knew what that was like. So this brings me to these few short verses. I want to read verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. It's the same word that was translated wilderness before. He, just, he found a place where he could be alone, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. If you read between the lines, Peter is now saying, Jesus, this thing, this mission, like it's off to a really good start. I mean, the business is launched. Your followers are exponentially adding and there's a lot of likes. There's people that are all about you. Like, Jesus, we, we, we have something here that we can capitalize on. What are you doing out here? Come on. The people want to hear more. And what does Jesus say? Jesus replied, verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also in this line. That is why. I have come. Jesus knew what his big rocks were. They've been clarified in prayer and in God's word. I just want to make three really quick observations here about what Jesus did. And before I make those three, just to remind you that this isn't in the scripture, and this isn't presented here so that Jesus can tell us, you need to do exactly the same thing I did. Because frankly, for some of you, getting up early in the morning and leaving the house to go to a alone place, a desert, a wilderness place, that just doesn't work. It doesn't work in, in your life, in your commute, in your care for children, in your so we, we can't use this to say, you know, you have to have like an hour and a half quiet time alone by yourself before you start your day. 
Because that's a law. That's a rule. That's just, that, that, that's not freedom. That's not what Jesus says when come follow me. Catch, catch the unforced rhythms of grace. So there are some observations I think we can make that we have to figure out how these work in our life, in the, in the world in which we live. And that, that's what being a disciple of Jesus is. It's learning how to live our lives, not as Jesus lived his life, but as Jesus would his, live his life if he were us in 2023. It's a big difference. So here are my three observations. One, Jesus lived his life as an overflow from a deep well of solitude, prayer, and his father's voice. Solitude, prayer, and his father's voice. And that discipline, that practice can happen when we don't fill the bucket to the brim with big rocks and gravel, pebbles, and sand, and then dumping water on top of it. The second observation I would make is that Jesus moved through the world with a clarified mission. He knew what his big rocks were. In that time of space and margin, in that alone time, even if it was for a few moments, that's where he clarified who he was. He remembered the voice of the Father. You're my beloved son. I'm pleased with you, not because of your productivity. I'm pleased with you because you are you. He was able in that moment to be able to say, no, I'm not going over there because this is why I came. This is why I came. He knew what his big rocks were. And then my last observation is that Jesus exercised his right and responsibility to say no. He knew how to say no. He knew how to take the projects and the papers and all the things that had grown up in the pebbles in the sand and throw it in the trash can and do it guilt-free. And I oftentimes say no to the things that are right and yes to the things that are wrong. I, I, get, them, I get them mixed up a lot. And, you know, as a, as a, a people pleaser, sometimes I find, why did I say yes to that? I said yes to that because I didn't want to disappoint that person. That I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was embarrassed or, or fearful that they would think less of me. So I said yes to that. And I filled my life with things that might be good, but they're just not central. And this is, this is, this is really tricky um, because we can have a tendency to use our no as a way to just care for ourselves, we, we use our no to say no to the things that keep us from the identity and mission that God has called us to. So simplicity is a spiritual practice that helps us learn how to say yes to that which is of highest value. And then no to lesser things, even if they seem that's the practice we want to invite you into in the month of August. Just to play around with it. 
And it's interesting because um, I've told you, I, I've, I've had rotator cuff repair surgery six months ago in January. It's almost seven months now. And it's a hard recovery. It's a slog. And I've been to the doctor, and I've also been to physical therapy since that time. And one of the things I learned about physical therapy is that um, you got to do the work. The therapist analyzes and then gives you exercises. And then he or she sends you home. And the key to physical therapy is in between the appointments. It's not the appointment. The appointment's great because during a physical therapy appointment, the therapist is going to check your posture, check your strength, your range of motion, really evaluate, are you doing the exercises right? Because if you do these exercises right, if you do the work, your shoulder is going to get better. And just in case you don't know this, but the physical therapist can tell <laughs> if you've done the work. Yeah? And my physical therapist says, yeah, it's, it's really, it's kind of too bad how many people don't do the work. It's just a waste. So it's, it's the same thing with spiritual practice. And it's the same thing with even this moment right now. Because we're, we're going to take a moment to be quiet for just a couple minutes. And then Taylor's going to lead us into the Lord's Supper. But this message, which prompted all sorts of thoughts in your mind about the big rocks and the pebbles in your life and the sand and the water and I'm drowning and I feel guilty and I'm not doing enough and I got to change my life and I got to learn how to say no. This sermon really is, it doesn't do much. All it does is it, it puts a, a, a thought in our brain that I'm hoping will just bug you all week that you'll think about and it's in between Sundays like our Sunday services are fantastic to come and worship and to hear God's word. But it's not the end. It's only the physical therapist checking and saying, okay, now go out and do the work. So I want to encourage you this week, this month, to be thinking about what are your big rocks? And just welcome the limits that God has given to us as humans. We cannot do it all. That's why we practice Sabbath to rest. That's the space in between the rocks. It's God's design that we would rest and learn how to say no and accept I can't do it all in spite of the fact that we're incredibly high capacity people. And that this week you would begin thinking, what, what is some of the gravel that I could just take out? You guys can come ahead and pass out the elements. What's some of the gravel that I could just take out of my life? And then be thinking about the sand that is just clogging. It is clogging your life. So as the elements are being passed out, I just want to invite us to have maybe a minute, maybe two minutes. of just quiet. I want you to reflect on what you've heard this morning on Jesus, his words, his ways. Um, your big rocks and some of the pebbles and sand that you just feel compelled.
to remove. And in a couple minutes, Taylor will come up. we're uh, reflecting on if there is any specific way that God might invite us to more simplicity by laying down, uh, to use Bill's language, of a rock or a pebble. Um, we'll come before the Lord knowing that our standing before God is not on the basis of whether or not we've performed well enough or lived simply enough. That's on the basis of Jesus' cross. This process of living life in the ways of Jesus is fueled by knowing what God has already done for us, who we already are in him. And uh, we see that no more clearly than when we remember the cross. And right now, as we're reflecting, let's take a moment. Um, if there's anything from recent memory, disobedience to God, something thought or said or done, it's just taking a moment to name it before God. It's just as an act of confession, and confession for a follower of Jesus isn't something we do uh, hoping that God will forgive us, it's something we do from a settled place of knowing that we are already forgiven in Christ, but we do it to realign our hearts to God's heart. And so if there's anything in that category that you just need to confess before the Lord, uh, let's take a moment to do so.
Lord's Supper right now, we're not just walking through a ritual or a tradition. Uh, we're declaring the truth of Jesus' cross over ourselves. That every sin, past, present, and future, is paid for in full. That God does not deal with us according to our sins. He deals with us according to his grace. As the psalm says, he has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And we declare that truth over ourselves right now as we remember his cross. So Jesus invited us to take the bread. It's a sacred symbol of his body broken for us. We take and we remember Jesus' sinless life given for us. We take together now. Jesus invites us to take the cup, which represents his blood shed for us. He died in our place for our sins be with God forever. And so we take and remember that we're washed clean from every sin, past, present, and future. God, we thank you um, for this invitation of simplicity. We thank you, God, for what your cross tells us, that we're yours, that you love us, that though our sin is more costly than we can imagine, and the rabbit hole of each one of our sins uh, is deeper than any of us can see in full uh, that you love us more fully and completely and unconditionally than even in our wildest dreams. And the truth is that every single one of us who trusts in Jesus is cleansed, that we're forgiven, and that we're yours forever. So we remember that truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we stand as we end off our time in worship, saying, Lord, I need you. Sing, Lord, I need you. Where grace is found 
is where you are and where you this week what Bill said I did not end here but ask the Holy Spirit lean into him asking what that looks like what simplicity looks like in our lives how we can put it into practice in the daily in our prayer time in our worship in every single moment and be intentional about it amen amen go in peace see you next Sunday Thank you.